0: Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday morning podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. This morning we're going to continue our look at Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. And if you're visiting with us, Uh, Thanks for coming today. It's so so good to have you with us. And if you want any information about our church, there's a little card you can just fill out in the pew and put it in the offering plate or leave it in the back there or give it to one of us. Uh, We're just glad you're here today. Hope you feel right at home as we worship together. We've been uh, considering the book of Ephesians this year, this winter. And today we're in chapter 4, and uh, we're going to be looking at the section verses 11 through 16. Let's have a word of prayer together, okay, as we open God's word. Heavenly Father, we just pause now to uh, uh, to ask you to guide us as we open your word. Uh, we do not do so just out of habit or formality, uh, but we want to pray that your Holy Spirit would be in our midst today and that uh, our hearts would be in tune to your heart. Uh, this is your word that you have given to us. And Lord, we pray that we would be careful with it, we would consider it, try to understand it, and also put it to work in our lives each day this week. And so we bless this portion of our worship time to your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, I got we got some, I don't think I'll get any feedback if I walk out here, I don't think. Um, we got some guests here with us today. Casey, you brought some, do any of these guys like to talk? Liam, if I ask one of them to say something, who are you looking for? Kyle like to talk. Okay, all right. Maya Jeremiah. Jeremiah. I'm gonna call you Jerry. How's that? Okay. Um, Jerry, if I uh, if, if I were to ask you if I were to ask you why does your church have a youth pastor? Why do we? Yeah, why does your church have a youth pastor? Jeremiah does not like to talk. Can I call Lifeline? <laughs> Can, I call Lifeline? <laughs> Can I call Lifeline? No. Oh. <laughs> um, anybody else like to talk? the amazing pay grade, of course. Okay, besides the pay rate over at Post Falls, we understand that. Okay. Uh, I, I I don't know. Anybody else want to ask? Why does your church have a youth pastor? You can't answer, Casey. All right, well, girls, one of you guys tell me. Oh, 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 down here. Okay, who are we looking at? Come on, one of you guys got to talk. Zach, there we go. Tell us, Zach, why you guys have a youth pastor? To train us youth to evangelize in the community. Say that again a little bit louder. To train us youth to evangelize in the community. Good, to train, to train us youth to evangelize in the community. Good. Uh, James, you got anybody likes to talk in your group? Who are we talking to? Yeah, nobody. How about Kevin? You guys, Luke? Okay, Luke, come over here. I'm, I'm not gonna come all the way down there, Luke. Just walk right across these people here. All right, Luke, why do you guys have a youth pastor in your church? Um, so our, so he can help us uh, get to know God and. Um... Learn more about him. Good. Okay, to help you guys get to know God and learn more about him. How about in uh, Berean's group? Any of you guys like to talk besides the ones that are already up here? I will just I can just pick on one of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> um I think it's because there's, well, one of the reasons is because there's so many youth, and, like, we all get together every single day at school, we're all in one place at one time, so we have the opportunity to share. Good. Okay, so he helps you to do that so you guys can learn together here to share. So when you go out to your schools and things, you can do that. Very good. Why do you guys have a pastor in our church? Chris? <laughs> to lead us. To lead you know, us. Okay, all right. Okay, very good. Thank you. Now I got this thing all messed up here, my Lady Gaga microphone. Let me see if I can get this back here. Okay, so Ephesians chapter 4. As we consider this passage this morning, thank you guys for sharing. And uh, it's good to have all of you with us. And let's look at verse 11. Last week we talked about Jesus. Uh, it was Easter Sunday. Hey, thanks for coming today. You know that Easter Sunday always is our best attendance of the year. And guess what the worst attended Sunday generally is? A week after Easter. So thank you for coming today. You all deserve an award for coming today. Um, but anyway, so... Uh, Verse 11 last week, we talked about Christ. Verse 10, we ended up with, he descended, is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens. We talked about his ascension during resurrection. He fills the whole universe. Verse 11, it was he, that is Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. So I want to stop right there for a minute, because what what Paul is talking about in this letter of the Ephesians, he's talking about the gifts. These are gifts given to the church. Now, we believe in our church that all of us are given spiritual gifts. You have a spiritual gift. Uh, God wants you to use. Um, I forget which one of is it Alex or one of you guys up here talked about the fact that that uh, or maybe it was Sarah. I can't remember that that we need to use our gifts for the body of Christ to be complete. You all have spiritual gifts. If you know Christ the Savior, you have a spiritual gift or more, one or more that God wants you to use. God has also given gifts to the church. And these are gifts of ministry and of office, if you will, or a position. The word that's used in church and church history is the word office. Um, in the sense that it's a kind of a function that is also a gift, and so what Paul says here to the church, Christ gave gifts when he went when he, was, when he led captivity on high, and he, we talked about this last week that in, in, the, in the Psalms it talks about that that he took that, that that gifts were given to him, and just as the conqueror shares the spoils of war, Christ shared the gifts back to his church, and here's the gifts. In this particular case of leadership, you guys mentioned, for the church that was given apostles, prophets, evangelists. We've heard a lot about today, evangelism, and some to be, and you'll notice most of your translations, translations will say pastors and teachers. Um, we'll come back to that in a second, but I want to talk about these gifts just quickly for a moment. The first one, actually the first two, I'm going to suggest to you, and I can't really go into a lot of detail this morning, but I want to suggest to you that the first two gifts that were given to the church, apostles and prophets, were specific gifts, functions, ministries in this early church in the apostolic era or age that we believe as God's word was progressively revealed. Now, this is one of Paul's later epistles. It's not his latest epistle. This is a prison epistle. So he writes this at the end of the book of Acts when he is in prison. He still is, we believe, to write 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus. Uh, We believe John wrote Revelation and his epistles toward the end of the first century. Uh, Thessalonians, Corinthians were early. James was very early epistle. And so what we see during this time of the book of Acts And during that first century is God was progressively revealing his word to his church. And it's just such a different context than we have today. We come together today. We have our Bibles. We have our phones and iPads with the Bible on it. You have the Bible accessible to you all week. You know, but when that early church got together, especially during the earliest days of that first era of the church, they didn't have the Bible they didn't even have the Old Testament. That was over at the synagogue in great big scrolls. They had portions of it that were memorized or written down that they could share or rely on people's oral tradition and oral under, or mental understanding of sharing. They may have had some maybe the, the church at Ephesus. They had this letter was given to them. Maybe they had some of the letters that were beginning to circulate, but it was not put together. They did not have the whole Bible. Therefore they were dependent as we see in Corinthians, on special gifts that God gave to the church. And those gifts were things like speaking in tongues, prophecy, and, of course, the apostles. Paul had apostolic authority. I do not have apostolic authority. Pastor Kevin and Pastor Gary do not have apostolic authority. I cannot get up and command certain things and understand certain things and look into your life certain ways that the apostles could uh, you know, because they had apostolic authority, they, the church needed that. When when uh, when somebody stood up at Corinth and spoke in tongues, and somebody else over here stood up and interpreted that tongue, what was going on? It wasn't just for their experience; it was a process by where clearly, if you read that book, you'll see that that the church recognized that these people were gifted at that time with those gifts because God was bringing revelation to the church. An interpretation would be to understand what this revelation was because they didn't have the completed scripture. So therefore, the gift of prophet, as we see in the New Testament, the gift of prophet is not someone who tells the future. That's not what the word prophet means. A prophet does tell the future, especially in the Old Testament. But their main gift was it means forth speaking for God. So when they get when the prophet stood up in, in the congregation and we recognize that he had this gift we would understand he is sharing a revelation from God for us. Now, if another prophet gets up and says something contrary to what the apostles had taught, if another prophet gets up and says, well, yes, but I want you to know Jesus really isn't God. He just appeared to be God. That contradict what the apostles taught. And we would say, wait a minute now, this sounds like a false prophecy. (laughs) You understand? These were used to bring revelation to this early church because they didn't have the the, the full word of God given to them yet? The canon we call, the the books of the Bible is called the canon. Canon simply means measurement. The things that were used to measure which books belonged in our Bible was not finished yet. And so Paul says, and it's interesting, we've seen twice in Ephesians, this reference to the apostles and prophets. We saw it in chapter 2 and verse 20. Where Paul says that, talking about the household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And we saw in chapter 3 and in verse 5, we see that which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So, what I want to suggest to you, and I I also mentioned this, this commentary series, the word commentary is excellent scholarly commentary series that's one of the finest ones recognized throughout the Christian world, uh, Andrew Lincoln, in his commentary, um, says this about these gifts of prophecy. It appears that for him, the author, the period of their significance, that is, apostles and prophets, was in the past. And the development whereby prophets became increasingly marginalized in the Christian movement as their leaders, listen to this, as their leadership role was taken over by the more stable teaching and ruling ministries as one that fits with the theological emphasis of this passage. And I like how he said that. The more stable and reliable in the sense that when God's word was finished and completed, we no longer have to open up this book and say, well, now this is in Ephesians. Did did God really give that to us or not? Is this a false or true teaching? We have accepted and understood that from Genesis to Revelation, this is God's holy, inspired Word of God. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen? This is why we teach the Bible at this church and why everything we do is centered on the Bible. And we have this. And so, what we have here are these gifts to the church. The first two, apostle and prophet, I'm going to suggest you were part of the apostolic era that are not required today. Because God has finished, and what we have is the next, I want you to notice the next gifts. Evangelists, back in Ephesians 4, and pastors, teachers. Now, it's interesting that all three of these are really teaching ministries. And you'll notice in translations that pastors usually goes like, it's kind of like pastors slash teachers. And that's because one article is used for both, you know, like the word the is used for both of them together. And the idea would be, I think, and I think this is accurate, that all pastors are also teachers. But not all teachers are necessarily pastors. But those are both gifts given to the church. Our church would be a a good example of this. We have three pastors Kevin, Gary, myself are the pastors of this church. But we also have many teachers. Kevin, Gary, and I also are teachers. We have many teachers in this church. They just finished a Sunday school hour. They teach throughout the week. Um, they are gifted teachers, and they may not be pastors, but they are teachers. And so, when we look at these gifts that God gave the church—pastors, teachers, and evangelists—and it's interesting for those of you that attended the Dare to Share conference this week. I think here's a here's a good example. Do you who, who put this on, Kevin? It's and who's the head guy? Greg Steer. Greg, what? Steer. Greg Steer. So would you say that that the work of evangelizing teenagers in the north, work, north northwest belongs to Greg Steer? Is that his job? That's exactly. So here's a here's a good example. He is a gifted evangelist according to this tradition right here that we that we espouse. He is a gifted evangelist in the sense that, along with his ability to evangelize, he also is teaching others to evangelize. And the gift of evangelism in the New Testament church is not simply Billy Graham or Lewis Plough or Franklin Graham. The gift of evangelists are those who are given to the church to instruct and help others to share their faith, we all need encouragement, we all need challenge, like the young people of God. We all need some guidance and help in the, in, the, in the stepping out of our comfort zone, the breaking out and the sharing and we have gift and in this church, we have gifted evangelists who we are trying to make use of. And for example, we have a class right now on sharing your faith that many have been attending that those who are teaching, I would say, would have this gift of teaching evangelism. Incidentally, what we, what we want to do this year is on the first Sunday of the month. We would like to have somebody come up who has come to know the Lord more recently. It could have been this last year, maybe the last couple of years, um, to come and share your story in a very non-threatening way, kind of like what Kevin did today. We'll, we'll kind of maybe interview and give you a chance to share with the rest of the congregation how you come to know Christ the Savior. We would like to do this once a month, have one person. So if you would be interested, if you've come to know Christ more recently in your life, and would like, would be willing, you may not like to or relish the thought of coming up and talking to everybody, but we'll make it easy for you to come up and just share your story, how you came to know Christ. Because I think it's important for us as a congregation to hear that and to know not only is that going on, but also to encourage you, this is not something for evangelists. This is something for all of us to do. And in fact, Paul tells Timothy as a pastor, do the work of an evangelist. So the gift of evangelism, so incidentally, if any of you would like, be willing to do that, come and talk to one of us pastors, and we'd like to have you come and just share once a month we would like to do this, and we plan to do this. So if you don't talk to us, we might talk to you, okay? But, so pastor-teacher. Now, what would the teacher do? The teacher, what is my job as a teacher? What is Kevin's job when he teaches our young people, when he preaches here, when Gary preaches here, when he teaches adult classes, when Rich teaches, when the, all of our adult teachers teach? What is our job? What are we doing? We are not bringing new revelation to you. That is not our job. We are not prophets. We are not hearing from God a special word that is not in his word, that is something new the Christian church has never heard of, and that we are bringing to you. Our job as teachers is instruction and understanding of the word that we already have, which is a very stable and reliable way of passing on the truth of the Christian faith. We seek guidance from the Holy Spirit. We seek wisdom, you know, understanding. And it may be a new revelation to you in the sense that maybe you haven't thought of this before. Maybe you hadn't seen this before. But there's nothing I'm going to bring you from this pulpit ever. In fact, I would, I would caution you, young people, if you ever get into a church where, number one, you are told, don't ever ask any questions, you, only, you, only, you accept what the pastor says. And number two, if you're in a situation where someone says, I know the Bible says this, but really what you need to know is something other, you're in the wrong church. You're in the wrong church. Now, respectfully, With respect for authority, you ask your questions. But I expect challenge. I expect if I say something that is not orthodox, it is not correct, I expect someone to come forward and say, wait a minute, Pastor Jim, I don't think that's what the Bible says. You have that right and responsibility, and we encourage that in the right way, in a positive, respectful way of authority. Our job is to explain and bring Scripture and teach the word of God. And if you come to this church, you will find we teach the word of God and we make no apology for it. And yes, my sermons and our teaching is usually from a book of the Bible. Sometimes it's topical. Our preaching on Sunday morning is not generally devotional. Um, We are preaching and teaching God's word. This is where you come to understand, be fed. And we want people who don't know Christ to come because Even if it's new to you, and maybe there's language and things that are kind of new and beyond. I understand that. But that's the Holy Spirit's job to help you. And and, and we will help you as the Holy Spirit guides us to understand God's Word. But but listen, if if we don't do this job, who's going to do it? If we don't do it, who's going to do it? So this is what we're about at our church, of, of teaching, understanding, and putting into practice God's Word. Pastors and teachers evangelist. Now listen, as a pastor, you know, and I'm old enough now uh, that you all have noticed I'm shaving my head, right? You like that? Uh, it's new because I because it, I don't they don't see my gray hair that way. So I'm old enough I'm old enough now that uh, you know, I can say I don't I don't you know I'll speak on behalf of the other pastors. They are a gift to this church. I've kinda of earned the right to say that. We know each other well enough Right. And, you know, my style of leadership and so on, we are not autocratic, uh, dominant and that type of thing. But as the pastors of this church, we are a gift to the church. Gary and Kevin are gifts to this church by God. For a reason. They are a gift to this church. James is a gift to his church and Casey is a gift to his church by God. Not because anything special about them. Right, Jay? I know James. Yeah, I know, I know Casey, I know me, I know Kevin, I know Gary. There's nothing special about us. It's the it's, it's calling God has given us. God has called us to this. And so we are shepherds. And that's interesting. The word that Paul uses here is the word shepherd. That's the word. It's one of the very few occasions. It's the only occasion in Paul's writing where he uses this word shepherd. Casey, James, Kevin, Gary, Me, the others that I know in this church and our northwest churches have produced many pastors, probably more than any region in our country, frankly, from the Grace Fellowship. But we are shepherds. What does a shepherd do? A shepherd does not drive the sheep. I've never shepherded, but I know enough about it. A shepherd leads the sheep. A shepherd cares. A shepherd guides, cares, cares. And instructs the flock. When I asked young people, why, why did God, and you, and you nailed it, really, you, you all got it. And I know the rest of you understand this too. Um, God has called your, your youth pastors as pastors in your church. They are not, Kevin at our church is not a junior pastor, right? He's not like a, you know, he is a pastor. Gary is a pastor. And our job is to shepherd, to care for. To guide and to instruct and, and the reason why in our churches we feel it's important to have shepherds who specifically have some responsibility for young people is exactly what you said. They're here to instruct, to teach, to help, to care for you, to feed you. That's what we call them for. They are here to work with your parents, others in your family, the adults, you know they are, they are not about raising your kids. That's not what Kevin's here in this church for, to raise your kids. You are to raise your kids. You are to instruct your kids. You are to teach your kids. He is here to work alongside you and to work with you and to help you as we do this together. I wanted to stop here, too. And just I just as, long as I have a lot of young people here today, I don't know, obviously, all of you, but thanks for being here today. Thanks, thanks for coming and sharing with us and being part of the, you know, you could have just left this morning and gone home, but thanks for staying, you guys, for with us today. And I want to just say, if, if any of you, if God is opening your heart or you feel God's tugging or leading on your heart to maybe be a pastor, um, would you please talk to your youth pastors, your pastors? Would, would you pray about it? Would you be open? I want to challenge you. Would you be open to it? You know what? There is a shortage nationwide today of people wanting to go into the pastor. It is the most wonderful opportunity that you will ever have. I thank God that I remember coming forward here in 19 whatever 70 at a service for when Kathy McDonald and her husband were killed, and we had a service, and many of us came forward and stood right over here by the piano, and, and committed our lives to the Lord. And Pastor Peterson laid on us the challenge, and, and several of us have gone into the ministry. And that and doesn't make me any better than anybody else, but it is it is a gift to the church that God has called. And if God has put this on your heart, even if you know if you're thinking engineering or Construction, or whatever it is, you know, Microsoft or Apple, whatever you know, Boogaloo, whatever you want. For living. If God has put this on your heart, would you at least, would you at least be open to it? Would you consider it? Would you consider it? It is a, it is a wonderful opportunity, and we need you. We need young, fresh, young pastors. And I want to encourage you, if God's put that on your heart, listen to Him. Listen to Him. And parents and grandparents, if God's put that on the heart of your children, don't you dare stand in their way. This is one of the biggest obstacles that young people go into ministry. Maybe going to Bible college or Christian college to, to train for ministry. Is the is the parents say, I don't want my I don't want my he'll never make enough money. She'll never be all this, they'll never baloney. Did you, know, you memorize this week's verse? Huh? Be what? Content with what you have had. God has said, I will never what? Leave you nor forsake you. Don't you dare stand in their way if God is calling them. Encourage them. Now listen quickly as we close, uh, and I have to I have to wrap this up. But listen, there's a purpose in this. There's a purpose for these gifts given to the church. Verse 12, here it is. And you, you young people nailed it. You got exactly right. To prepare God's people for works. Now notice what it does not say. He has given these gifts so that the pastors can do the work of the ministry. It specifically does not say that. It specifically says the pastors are given, the evangelists are given, the teachers are given to the church to prepare, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The reason, young people, that your youth pastor is working alongside your church and your families and your church is to build you up. The reason you went to Dare to Share is to be instructed and built up and trained in this. Why? First of all, notice what he says here. To do works of service. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not of works that any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, created by God unto good works. We are created to do good works. We are to do good things. We are to serve God. We are to be active and put into action the things that we learn. This is our responsibility as believers, congregation and pastors alike. We are called to do good, especially to the household of faith, but also to our world, to our neighbors, to our schools, to our communities. We are to be prepared to do good works. And this is why we gather and are instructed and taught and led and fed so we can do these things. Number one, look at the second thing. The second thing Paul says, that the body of Christ might be built up into unity. When Kevin preached from the the first part of this chapter, the first six verses, it was an emphasis on unity. We have learned already that the whole heavenly scheme, the whole heavenly uh, plethora of of, uh, heavenly beings, that we are on display to them. And we are the instrument God is using to be on display to this world of His grace and mercy and love. The church, the body of Christ. And we are to have unity and when we pick apart and destroy each other, we are destroying that witness. We are destroying that witness. We are to work together and we are to be unified. So God has called us and God has called us as pastors to help lead and train. God has called us as teachers. God has called us as evangelists so that the body of Christ might do good things, do good works. Or the body of Christ would be unified. And look at the last thing. That it might become mature. That it might become mature, grown up. Grown up as believers. The church, the body of Christ. This is what God has called us to do. This is what we are about. This is why we are a church. This is why we are on this corner. We're coming up on 50 years here in another year and a half of the existence of our church. This is why we're here. The last part. I rethought about this sermon and and thought if I had had the title over again, I would title this sermon, Wind, Children, and Dice. Wind, Children, and Dice. And I'll tell you why. I know you look at me like, what is he talking about dice in church? Actually, I called it Wind, Children, and Loaded Dice. (laughs) Because I want you to look at the last part of this. Verse 14. Then we will no longer, if we do this right, If we do this right, if we focus on on God's word and applying God's word to our lives, and as pastors and teachers and evangelists, as a church body, if if we do this correctly and, and, and do what God calls us to do, the result could be this. No longer will we be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning craftiness of men into deceitful scheming. We are supposed to grow up. Probably a lot of you may know adults or maybe even teenagers who act like infants still. They're selfish. The world revolves around them like an infant. Um, You know, they have not grown up. And it's possible as Christians to not grow up. It's possible to spend our lives as infant Christians with everything centered around us this is what I like. This is what I want. This is me, me, me. You know, that's what, that's the infant, the infant style. It's natural. But as we grow and we we're part of community, part of family, and we realize that it's not about me, me, me. It's about you, you, you. Paul says, "Grow up. Grow up." And I, and I have to say to you too. And sometimes when I, you know. People say, "Well, that's just not me. I'm just not a. I'm just not a kind person." Well, too bad. Be kind. I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm just bitter. Well, don't be bitter. Let's work on that together. Let's grow up. Let's grow up. I mean, I know it's hard, but there are ways to get over. There are ways to work through these things as we work together. That's part of being a body of Christ. Let's grow up. Paul says, "I don't want you to be infants, and I don't want you to be like a boat that is." Is just tossed by the winds back and forth. Whichever way the wind goes, that's where your boat goes. The wind goes that way, your boat goes that way. No, your boat should be heading somewhere. And, and, and Paul says here that, that it's the winds of false teaching. Let me ask you, where do these winds come from? Listen, they don't come from without. Most of the time it comes from within. The heresies, the false teachings have come from within the church, not from without. That's not where our challenge is. I know there's a lot of challenges out there. I understand that. But the false teaching, the bitterness, the disunity, the breakup in the church, and so it comes from within. And Paul says, I don't want you to be like that. I want you to be sailing together in the right direction. And then finally, the, word, the reason I said loaded dice is the last, word, the last thought here actually is from the Greek word for dice. And it has the idea of crafty men who use loaded dice. And that was common in the first century, as it is today, I guess. I don't play dice, but I I think that's what happens. And the idea that they're deceitful and they use dice that are going to always help them to win. That's the word that's used here. Paul says, listen, grow up. Become mature. Become unified. Become godly. So you're no longer subject to these tricks and this loaded dice when someone comes in and says, no, this is what you ought to do. This is where your church ought to go. This is what ought to happen. And they're trying to, and they're working to break things up. Paul says, no, that's not what we want. And then finally, let's look at the last thing here. The last thing Paul says in conclusion, Paul says, no, no, no. This is not what we want to be. Instead, look at this, this is beautiful language. How can you argue with this? Speaking the truth? It's kind of an interesting Greek word. It's almost kind of, you almost could say, truthing. Truthing with one another. One of my fellow pastors used to say that. And I thought, it's, that's right, that's where it comes from. Truthing. Truthing with one another. Speak the truth. In love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Ephesians and Colossians are the only two epistles that specifically talk about Christ as the head and the church as the body. The body metaphor is used in Corinthians in the sense of the community. But it's in Ephesians and Colossians as God's revelation is progressively unfolded that this new understanding, this new truth, that what he is saying is, I mean, look at me, I, I, you know I'm, a, I'm a, you know you don't think of me as a you know, if this is all you saw on Sunday morning was a head, you know, wouldn't that be kind of odd? you know the head over here and the head over here, or if you saw, I can't do their part, but you know, if you just saw my body without, without the head. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But this is what Paul says we are. We are the body of Christ. We are one. You can't disconnect them. And Paul says, if, if we do this right, we have the opportunity. Young people, if you do this right, we have, you have the opportunity to, to grow up into a, a, a mature. And I want you to notice this. You see, we're so individualistic. But the emphasis here is on the collective, on the body, not the individual. Paul is saying here, if we do this, he's not saying, Pastor Jim, uh, Rich, Karen, you individually will grow up. That's fine. But what he's saying is the body of Christ will grow up and mature. The goal is, is for our body, our local body, the local body at the church where James is at and where Casey's at, wherever your home church is at. The goal is for that local body, and then as part of the body of Christ, to grow up and be mature, to not be tossed back and forth, to be unified, to speak the truth in love, and to be be connected to the body. So when people look at us with our imperfections and our humanity and our weaknesses, they see what? They see Jesus Christ as a body. This is what God has called us to do. This is who God has called us to be. And I want to challenge you this morning, my friends. This passage is not about pastors and evangelists and teachers. It is about a unified, mature, growing, serving, active, loving, compassionate community of faith that is evidencing They belong to Christ. So therefore, it's about you and about me. And if you step aside from it, if you step aside from it and say, it's about them, you are doing a terrible disservice to God's work. Every one of you belong to a family. I belong to a family. I have an extended family. I don't talk about my family as them or they. It is we and us. If there's an issue in my family, it is my issue. But it's amazing in a church family, we can kind of step aside and talk about them as if it's not us. It is us. It is us. We have a stake in this, every one of us. And listen, friends. The Bible says we all will stand before him someday and give an account. Whether you like it or not, it's not my words. It's 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. We will stand before Christ. Let's grow up, all of us, and continue to do what God has called us to do and to work together. And again, I plead with you young people, if God is putting on any of your hearts, if God is putting on any of your hearts, I plead with you, open them up. We need some of you in the ministry. We need some of you as shepherds. We need you as teachers, evangelists. Open your hearts. At least, at least, at least give God a chance. And parents and grandparents, you encourage them. Don't you dare stand in their way. It's a gift to God's church. Let's close our service with our final hymn. Thank you again for coming today. I know there are many places you could be today, and you've come to share in the service, and God bless you and thank you for being here today. Now, listen, Alex gave you a challenge, you remember? I see some of them back there, and uh, remember it's as simple as saying, What did you learn as a preschool? Hi. How are you? Good, you can do it, I know it. So they're back there. Let's take a card, let's pray for them, let's get involved with each other. And as we close the service today, I just, again, I don't want anybody to leave this place without knowing how much God loves you. This is not trite, this is not just a throw-in at the end of the service, but as our young people have been challenged today, it's the simple message of the gospel. You have already heard it. If if, if you're still not sure, it's a simple message, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. Died on the cross of Calvary, and God punished him on that cross, that replica of that cross. He punished him on the cross for my sin. And when I was a young boy, someone told me that message, and I didn't understand all the details and the theology and the deepness of it, but I did understand, Holy Spirit opened my heart that God loved me and that Jesus died for me. And he wants to forgive my sins and give me eternal life and begin a new journey of walking with him and the opportunity to grow and mature in my faith. That's the gospel, friends. And if you have never received Christ as your Savior, you can do so right where you stand as I close the service. It's not for me or this church. You don't need to come to me, but I would appreciate you saying something to me or Kevin or any of the other people that were here up front today that you recognize. We would love to pray with you. And answer any more questions you have. Heavenly Father, uh, we've just sung, thank you, Lord. And and we just humbly, uh, as your people today, yes, Lord, we thank you. Not one of us deserves your grace, mercy, and kindness that you've chosen to love us. We don't deserve it. And we know it better than anybody, each one of us. But, Father, we just want to thank you today that you paid for our sins. We are forgiven. And we do not have to stand before you to make an account for sins. We are forgiven. And, Father, we thank you for the privilege of walking with you. And I just pray as we leave this place today, if there is one person here who is walking out these doors and they honestly have to say, I'm not forgiven, I don't have eternal life, That right now, friend, you would speak to God, not to me, but speak to God and say, yes, I receive Christ's payment for my sin and you will be forgiven. We have gathered in his name today and we leave rejoicing and all God's people can say together. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.